0: going to read just a few verses of scripture uh, going to try to cover quite a bit of ground tonight um, I realize this is a character study and with that it's hard for me sometimes to remember that that it's a character study and I'm trying to really stay honed in on a character rather than grab the whole story and just tell it to you and so I'm going to try to do the best to stay with that but I may I may flirt around a little bit okay First Kings 18 verses 1 and 2 this is our fourth part in our Elijah study. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go shew thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to shew himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. A sore famine in Samaria. We will skip around tonight, we will hit other verses, but thou at least give us a start. Uh, tonight, and I entitled this uh, this evening, and you're probably going to understand I'm being redundant, and that's okay because this is Elijah. I'm going to talk to you tonight about obedience is better. Obedience is better, and that is a a thread or a theme that we see with the life of Elijah, his obedience. Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight. God, and I'm grateful, Lord, for your people. I'm grateful, Lord, for this crowd and this showing to people, Lord, on Wednesday night that are interested in your word, interested in the teaching of your word, the dissecting of your word. I pray, oh, Lord, God, that Lord shares and imparts life, God, unto us. And I pray, God, that by, Lord, looking at one of these lives of Scripture, Lord, I can turn around and perhaps view my own life, God, and allow, Lord, there to be a measuring stick there. I pray, oh, God, you would help us this evening. Anoint our minds and our hearts, God, the pool pit in the pew let there be a synergy lord between the two god that we would lord cooperate with one another god as we lord delve into your word god we'll be thankful and grateful lord for what we learn and what we pull away god from this time lord jesus of fellowship with you and not just one another in the lovely name of jesus christ that i pray amen and amen everyone say amen. amen amen you may be seated tonight Obedience is better. Last week, we took some time to hit some tops of the trees whenever we concerned the uh, characteristics of a godly person. Uh, We introduced some of those last week. If I may go through that list again, just as a reminder, tonight one of the things of a characteristic of a godly person was uh, that waiting element or what we might know it as being being Patience. Another one was the dependence that we have not upon ourselves, but the dependence that we show upon God. Uh, one of the characteristics of a godly person is their dependence upon God. Another thing is lingering toward or pulling toward uh, more of the spiritual aspects than the natural aspects of this life. Uh, another characteristic was being involved in ministry. Amen. Ministry, being a servant involved in ministry, being a follower. Being a follower, characteristic of a godly person. Having a spirit of humility, a spirit of humility and one that we will spend perhaps some time on here and there this evening is also being obedient, is a characteristic of a godly person. And lastly, what uh, we came to last week was that Elijah handled himself. He was very temperate and handled himself appropriately whenever he was uh, being raked over the coals. Uh, by the lady who had lost her son and caused the blame to be put upon him. And we'll see through the life of Elijah, and even up to this point in time, we have seen that several of these uh, uh, traits have been shown time and time again, and they will uh, continue to appear. Uh, These are not just a one-time display that happened last week, but this is a part of Elijah's life. This has become a lifestyle to him. So it's not uh, no uh, surprise that we see them time and time again. We come now this evening, perhaps, upon one of the most notable times in the life of Elijah. You know, whenever you start to mention certain people in Scripture, you start to identify and associate something, boom, right away with it. You know, we talk about Noah, you start thinking about the flood. You know, there's just certain names that if we were to start to mention, you make an association right away. And many people, whenever we start to talk about Elijah, they already begin to think about uh, two aspects, I would say, uh, two aspects about Elijah. Number one, the experience that took place on Mount Carmel I think that's a very notable thing that people remember about Elijah. And then a second notable thing that they remember about Elijah is that's that guy that never died and uh, he was taken away in a whirlwind with chariots of fire. And so we come to what I would consider the climax of the story because in reality, there's not been a, I mean, there's been some great things taking place, but they've all been in the closet of privacy. Uh, What has taken place at Cherif and what has taken place at Zarephath uh, for the most part has been in a closet of privacy. It's not been in the open. It's not been made public. But now we come to a different venue in the life of Elijah. I mean, basically everything that Cherif and Zarephath has been preparing him for now is coming to a head. He is at his Mount Carmel uh, experience. And he is just what would seem to be a lone ranger in all of this. Uh, He's by himself. He's a single-handed man. I understand he's a majority because he's one man that's with one God. And and that always makes a majority. But there's not like a large posse of prophets that's walking around and all these things are taking place and they are all uh, going to the king of Israel, Ahab, at that moment and defying him and his position and place of worship. Uh, there's just one man that's going forward and doing that. But with that, it's from this setting of Scripture that we understand even before this that even the value of one's participation, amen, in the kingdom of God can make great difference for everybody involved. Uh, the lady at Zarephath just needed one prophet That was sensitive to the holy ghost that was going to bring uh, sustenance for her and her son she didn't have to have a a whole kitchen full of cuisine cooks he just needed somebody amen a man that was sensitive to god and one can make a difference with that being said one elijah who was a man that we started this off with to begin with one man one person that is subject to like passions as we are an individual one person that has falls and failures mishaps doesn't always have it all together a person can make a difference get a little more more intimate you everybody say me everybody say I can make a difference I can't make a difference one can make a difference. Just to show how fine that line can be sometimes concerning just one, in 1776, one vote gave America the English language rather than German. We're able to speak English today because of one vote rather over German. In 1845, one vote brought the state of Texas into the Union. One vote. In 1868, one vote Saved President Andrew Jackson from being impeached. One vote. In 1876, one vote gave Ruford P. Hayes the US presidency. One vote. In 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. One vote. In 1941, one vote saved the draft just 12 weeks before Pearl Harbor. One vote. So there is power and there is a difference that can be made naturally and spiritually, amen, through the power of one. I shared with you several, several now months ago, back last September whenever we were at men's conference, Brother Fred, because it touched my life so dearly, whenever Bishop McCool was talking about how one could have put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. And that's great, and we celebrate over that, but he was talking about the power of one, that whenever you lose one, you have lost power exponentially. You've lost power exponentially. And so whenever we understand that on the flip side, that the power of one is an exponential power. You're just one individual, but the power that comes with you and your allegiance to God is an exponential power. It's greater than just, if you will, one. So we come upon some uh, very familiar terminology tonight. You're saying, Brother McGee, you're teaching the same thing every four lessons. I'm sorry, I guess there's something to be said for consistency in the life of Elijah and so when we look, I believe that would bear out, then he's a consistent man as well but we come to some terminology in the scripture of 1 Kings 18 that speaks some words that maybe we've, we've come to before and it says, and it came to pass after many days, we have seen this before, this many day episode, or after a while type episode, and I believe it illustrates to us, he didn't say it came to pass after years although it was the third year, it plainly says, that this all happened. Amen. The third year since that heaven had been shut up and there had been no rain or dew upon the earth. But he says it came to pass after many days. And I believe, I I know it's very simple, but God sometimes, I believe, deals with us that we live for Him in a daily basis, in a daily mode. Our years and our months are are composed, if you will, of moments and composed of days. And God is interested in our days. He told us to take in New Testament Scripture, no thought of tomorrow because there's enough evil in today, you know, for itself. He told us to teach us to number our, not years, but teach us to number our Days, Amen. And although we have and we can't express it in weeks and years, I believe we need to understand that at most, or at least should I say, they are composed of days. In Ephesians 5 and verse 15, uh, the New Testament writer says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, which is straight, that means straightly or perfectly or holy, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If we, Cut out all the else in between and just boil it down to see then that you walk circumspectly because the days are evil. And with that in mind, after certain days or after many days, that tells me there was a period of time that elapsed. And here we are again looking at one of the traits of Elijah and that is we're trying his patience. Tried his patience at Cherith. Now here is coming the closure at Zarephath and we're trying his patience. Many days have passed. You know, God is not picking on Elijah. And with that being said, God's not picking on you when you got away. He tries very reputable men in Scripture. He tries their patience. There are a lot of people in Scripture that had to Wait. Abraham waited for a son, Isaac. Joseph had to wait for a couple years in prison. He said, Remember me, he told uh, the, the, the uh, butler when he got remember me whenever, whenever you get out of here. And a couple years later, he remembered him. He, he had to wait in prison. We read in scripture that Joshua and Caleb had to wait for their promised land. They were 40 years earlier ready to go in and claim the land. But because of other people now, they had to wait for 40 years to receive that mountain that Caleb so wanted to take 40 years earlier. But he had to wait. David had an anointing to be king, but he didn't go to the throne after that anointing. He had to wait. Wait. And be patient in his waiting. So time and time again, even the children of Israel found themselves in oppression and bondage. And guess what they had to do? Wait. For about 430 years they waited for a deliverer. Moses. They had to wait. Jesus, even in his walk upon the earth, people tried to have things to come. He said, well, my time is not yet. He had to wait. For the right time, when all things should be fulfilled. Paul was in prison at one time in jail, and he waited for a couple of years before his deliverance. And ever since then, us, the church of the living God, as I spoke on Sunday morning, we have been waiting for the Lord's return. So please don't get your feathers ruffled whenever you find yourself in a position that you have to wait. Because Joshua did, and David did, and Moses did, the children of Israel did, Jesus did. So servants no greater than his master, so if he had to wait, you better believe there's going to be times and periods of our life that we're going to have to wait. And what Elijah had was the proverbial statement of James whenever he said, the trying of your faith worketh patience. So here we are waiting on the Lord again. But another familiar term comes you all going to be able to teach this whenever we leave after these weeks because there's common threads that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Here it is. This is probably the third time at least that we've come across this that the word of the Lord came to him and the word of the Lord says, Go and shew yourself unto Ahab. Gives him a command and it says, I will send rain. There's the promise or the provision upon the earth. I mean, this almost seems like a death sentence because it wasn't but a little bit earlier, God, you was telling me to go hide. Now you're telling me go and show myself. But again, the Bible says without hesitation that Elijah, he went, amen, he went to show himself unto Ahab. Look At the flavor, look at the, there wasn't no second guessing seemingly that we're aware of in scripture, no uncertainty. There was the command and there was the obedience. And after the obedience, there was the fulfillment of the promise. We've seen this time and time again. God commands, we obey, the promise comes. Our frustration happens when there's the command, we don't fully obey and we're frustrated because the promise doesn't come. But, but, but the pattern, the surface of that is resurfacing is command, then you obey, and then comes the provision. And many times the provision or the promise is conditional upon our obedience. It's Elijah, you do this, and God says, I will do this. You do this, and I will do this. Oftentimes though, we tried to be the one that's set in the condition oftentimes we reverse the row and we do that little ultimatum game with the Lord and we say God <laughs> we say God if you'll do this I'm going to do this <laughs> seriously God if you take care of this for me I'll do this for you yes, sir. that is not the arrangement here in Scripture it, it, the, 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 he, we are not the one setting the condition he's the one setting the condition and then the promise will come it's not it's not us saying God you do this and then I'll do this no it's God saying you humanity do this and then I the Lord will do this so it doesn't work that way we, we got things backwards just a little bit the Bible if we could go to 1 Samuel chapter number 15 this evening 1 Samuel chapter number 15, I don't want to get things backwards, amen, in my relationship. Uh, Elijah is trying to teach me some things, not to get it backwards. 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 18, the Bible states these words. This may be a familiar story to some. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy. This is uh, Samuel, he's speaking unto Saul. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the, the, the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed wherefore then didst thou not look at this wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord Samuel said I told you to utterly destroy the Amalekites he said but what is this You, you have not obeyed you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord and Saul said unto Samuel yea I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Now, first of all, I don't, I don't know where Saul's getting off here, that he obeyed the Lord whenever he follows that up and says, I brought the king of the Amalekites. Now, what part of utter destroy do you not understand? And I know that's, that's possible. I know it, because some people don't understand, no. Okay? So I am absolutely 100% fluent that it's possible for someone just not to get what utter destroy means and keep a king of Agag, and so it was with Saul. And verse 21, but the people took of the spoil, sheep, and oxen of the cheap things, which should have been, look at this, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice, look at this, to sacrifice unto the Lord by God in Gilgal. Now they was thinking here, man, this is going to be really good. We'll keep back some of the choices of animals and some of the choices of things in the arena of sacrifice and we'll sacrifice these things to God. And he's going to be proud about that. Man, I'm going to get some brownie points with God with this, this good sacrifice thing and he's really going to look favorably on me. I believe Saul even thought, man, God God is just going to put another jewel in my kingly crown, me bringing him the king. Amen hear of the Amalekites man I'm going to get in good with God but I want to understand verse 22 and Samuel said hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams what we get to here in the scripture of 1 Kings 18 that we have come to tonight is that there are varied in varieties of people. There are people that will be the nonconformists, the the just flat out disobedient, who would be typical of the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove that we see on Mount Carmel. The Jezebels, that man, I'm just absolutely against God. There's no, no doubt in my mind. But then there are the people that are trying to walk the line of the mediocre because they believe that their relationship can be salvaged because they have good sacrifice unto God. Right, all right, come on now. Sacrifices are meaningful. But then there are people like Elijah that understands the true fellowship and relationship that he has with God is based upon his obedience, and that his sacrifice doesn't mean much if he's not obedient to his God. Amen. There's people that make sacrifice in the realm of Christianity. In the realm of church. You can even talk to somebody. And if they start feeling a little conviction, they'll begin to tell you about how they love the Lord. And begin to pull up examples of what they have done. What are they doing? They want to point to their sacrifice. Oh, yeah. All I got to do is call somebody up have hadn't been here for a long time. They say they love me and they love the church. How things going? Well, you know, well, I do good. But I, I, I'm, you know, I still listen to John MacArthur, you know, over the internet, you know, praise God. <laughs> oh, God. Huh? They're wanting to point me toward their sacrifice. But your sacrifice by no means takes place or precedence over your obedience. If I can say it like this, your sacrifice does not have any meaning without obedience. This is what the Spirit of the Lord was speaking to Saul. He says, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Man, all these great lambs and all this stuff, that's great, but you didn't do what I said. And he says obedience is better. Obedience is better than sacrifice because sacrifices. Listen to this: Is you want a phrase to sum all this up and keep it in your mind. Remember this: Sacrifices are accepted upon altars of obedience. Sacrifices are accepted upon altars of obedience. I didn't plan on going here, Tyler. So I'm going, and you're not going to be going. Okay. <laughs> Psalms 51. Psalms 51, I want to share something with you because here lately I've just gotten, you know, I switch things around every once in a while. Here lately I've been praying Psalms 51. It is, it is the, the chapter in the Bible that David uh, prayed and spoke to God about after his adultery, amen, but even beyond, you know, if you were adulterous or any type of sin you had in your life it's a good scripture to resort to about your transgression and your sin and pouring it out to the Lord and Bishop have I been praying this in the mornings the last few verses have just really been playing with me I even talked to my wife about it because the Bible says in Psalms 51 in verse 16 it says before thou desirest not sacrifice else would I give it thou delightest not in burnt offering the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart oh God thou wilt not despise but then I go to the next verses and it says do good to thy good pleasure unto Zion which Zion is typical of the church throughout scripture look what he says this is David crying out to the Lord he's he's just even speaking a plea to God he's saying God build thou the walls of Jerusalem build the walls of Jerusalem but look then at verse 19 He's saying, okay, God. He said, I know, I know, I know, I know right now you desire us not sacrifice. He said, I would give that to you. he said, eh, but would you build the walls of Jerusalem? And then he says, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bullocks upon thine altar. They were saying, God, you don't delight in sacrifices Whenever the city in which they are being sacrificed has no walls to show its definition and its bounds. In other words, whenever they had walls, whatever was within the walls was the city, whatever outside the walls was the country. Within the walls was civilization, outside the walls was the wilderness. But if there were no walls, you didn't know where the city ended and the wilderness began. and David's saying Lord you don't really care much about sacrifice right now because we don't know where the limits of the city is (laughs) he said but if we can get the definition of where the city is of Jerusalem you'll be willing to accept sacrifices now and whenever the limits of the city are set out that tells me how far I can go someone say amen. amen and whenever there's something telling me how far I can go I'll skip over, call it a rule, regulation, whatever you want, then that calls me to a place of either being obedient or disobedient because there's something defining that now so he says as long as I'm sacrificing and I don't have no criteria telling me how far I can go that sacrifice you don't delight in that but as soon as there's something up there that tells me how far I can go and I stay within the limits of that my sacrifice is meaningful to you because obedience is better than sacrifice now that was a pit stop didn't plan on going there but that was just prayer time with Paul McGee amen hallelujah That's been bothering me for the past few mornings whenever I got to that. So Elijah is told first to go hide himself. Now he's told to show himself. Now here's what's so peculiar about this, and this is the way that God operates. He's told to hide himself probably when he would rather stay out in the open, and he was told to show himself when he would probably rather hide. Because now for three years, Ahab has had people searching all over the kingdom for this prophet because we're going to take his life jezebel has killed the prophets of the lord <laughs> and now in the moment when he would rather probably be hiding god saying show your face see it, it doesn't always our ways are not his ways our thoughts are not his thoughts whenever whenever we think we should go that's probably when he's probably wanting us to stay and when we're wanting to stay that's probably when he's wanting us to go amen But evidently, something that Elijah proved in his life is that he was a man of his word. In 1 Kings 18, verse number 15, we'll get there. The story comes, Elijah then is on his trip and his journey to go show himself to Ahab. And on his journey, Ahab has a right-hand man of his by the name of Obadiah. Things have gotten really bad in Samaria. There's a drought, there's famine. uh, Their livestock and everything are suffering as a result of a lack of rain. So Ahab told uh, uh, Obadiah, you go one direction, I go the other. We need to see if we can find some grass uh, for the livestock so that they won't die. So as Obadiah goes one direction, ordained of God, he runs into Elijah. And Elijah speaks into Obadiah. And Obadiah recognizes, is this a, art thou the Lord Elijah? And he says, yes, I am he. And he says, you go tell Ahab that I'm here. And I'm ready to see him. <laughs> well, hell. Oh, but I saying you want me to go tell Ahab that I have found you and you've been absent for three years. We have people scurrying all over the land to find you. What's to say that if I go tell him this, that you won't just disappear and then my life is going to be in my very own hands. But the sounding words of Elijah in the end of verse number 15, Elijah said unto Ahab, as the Lord of hosts liveth, Because Obadiah really throws some things out toward him. He says, this is what you basically were saying. This is what you want me to say? That you are here and that you want me to tell the Lord that you're going to show up and you're going to talk to you." He said that about three or four times. You want me to tell him this? Yes. And he said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely shew myself unto him today. He wasn't just a man of his word, but importantly, he was a man of God's word. Now look at verse number eight concerning Obadiah look at verse number 8 he answered him this is Elijah I am I am Elijah go tell thy Lord behold Elijah is here Obadiah seems to already open up as one individual he's an example of what the whole nation is collectively right now this is my opinion People have different opinions of Obadiah. This is my opinion of Obadiah. That he is an example of how the whole nation is right now. They are under distress. They are people that Elijah even asked on Mount Carmel the question, why halt ye between two opinions? This is already showing up in one individual, the life of Obadiah. Because whenever you read about Obadiah, on one hand, the Bible says that he greatly feared the Lord. On one hand it says that there were a hundred of the prophets of the Lord that he stole away and put them in caves by fifty and he gave them bread and water and he took care of them. But then on the other hand, he is the governor, the right-hand man of Ahab's house. How can you be the right-hand man of the most wicked, perverse king of all ages and keep that position and not to play both sides? so i'm already seeing through the example of one individual really a little bit of a flavor of how the whole nation is and elijah even already begins to point some of this out he already begins to point out that ahab is obadiah's lord look at it there in verse number eight he answered him i am go tell thy lord go tell your master (laughs) go tell your master behold elijah is here now here's here's Man, this is just mind boggling because Obadiah's name means servant of the Lord. But he's not living up to his name. Now, Brother McGee, that can't be so, could it? I mean, Judas in New Testament scripture, his name means praise. Same as the Old Testament, hey man, Judah. But he didn't live up to his name either. So here is Obadiah, supposed to be a servant of the Lord, yet we understand through the words of Elijah, he is a servant of his Lord and master Ahab. I mean, there's almost like a blanket being just ripped off the situation here. Uh, The Lord stated in New Testament Scripture, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, then you are doing some scattering. So there is two different individuals that come to play right here. We have Elijah, Jehovah is my God. We have Elijah, Jehovah is my God. He is a servant of the Lord. We have Obadiah who means I am a servant of the Lord but who is a servant of a ruthless, wicked, perverse king. He's serving in a capacity as a governor to Ahab who has some job requirements and responsibilities that no doubt is going to cause him to compromise some of his beliefs. How can he keep the job? Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot be Just think that you're going to be among iniquity and you're going to pull iniquity all up to your level every time. Didn't work for Lot. He didn't improve Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah demoted him. He was brought into its web. He almost and ultimately did lose his family as a result. Look at the scripture of 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Bible's speaking. When it says just Lot, it's speaking of his former state prior to Sodom and Gomorrah. And delivered just Lot, or if you want to look at it, this, delivered just Lot. <laughs> okay. Delivered just Lot, vexed. The word vexed means to labor down or oppress. Delivered just Lot, vexed oppressed with the filthy conversation of the wicked what? the filthy conversation of the wicked was getting to him, it was vexing him it was wearing it to him down it was oppressing him verse 8, for the righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed he's being wore down, he's being oppressed it oppressed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds he couldn't go to Sodom and Gomorrah and lift them up to his status he went there and he was brought down to their status and from the result of all this his wife looks back she turns into a pillar of salt his two daughters make him drunk the firstborn go and lay with him the first night amen and has, has a child conceived in her womb the younger goes in the second night after making daddy drunk and has a child conceived in her womb and from the two incestuous relationships with their daddy come forth two groups of people the firstborn being the Moabites from the younger being the Ammonites who give Israel the nation Havoc all of their days, but I ask you the question then this evening where do you think those daughters even got the idea to lay with their own father? Sodom and Gomorrah was littered with such activity taking place within its confines, and I believe tonight. That what gave them the idea was because of where their abode had been and they didn't bring it up to their status. They rather came to the status of it. Amen. Now back to the people that want to point to their sacrifices. Let me tell you, if people have to tell you that they love the Lord, it's usually a result from not being able to show you and demonstrate in their life. And I'm not talking about sacrifice in their life that they love the Lord. Because, see, they got to try to bring something on the table. Because why? There's conviction, there's guilt, there's shame. So we go to Mount Carmel. (laughs) I'm going to talk about that just a little bit. Maybe, if I can get there. We go to Mount Carmel. We come to this mountain. It is typical through Scripture. Not always, but more so typical through Scripture. that revelation occurs on the mountains. Revelation. Abraham had a new venue in the opening and revelation of his God with Isaac on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22. Moses met with God on Mount Sinai. It was there that all of that divulging of the Ten Commandments and not only that, the pattern to the tabernacle in the wilderness took place up there, revelation took place on the Mount of Sinai it is Elijah here his encounter with the prophets of Baal and the priests there there is a revelation that's taken place then on this mountain we even see that God or or Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration revelation takes place up there on that Mount of Olives anybody that witnessed and gathered at Mount Calvary Honey, there was a revelation that was unveiled and took place up on that mountain as well. Carmel, and I want you to understand this, and I'm diverging here for a little bit tonight, but please bear with me. We're gonna, I'm going to look further into this somewhere down the road. But Carmel is a Hebrew word that means, Brother, Pastor, Bishop, whoever you are, <laughs> <laughs> call me wherever you want, just call me one of these days for dinner and call me gone, right? Um, in the Hebrew, that word means a garden land a place of fruitfulness or fertility. It comes from karam, which means to tend vines or a vineyard. Man, there were some things that started snapping my mind today. And I know we've touched this a thousand times. Touched my mind today concerning prophecy. Said you was a burnover field. He said, but this was a garden land. A place of fruitfulness and fertility he said you're a dilapidated vineyard he said but this is a place of vine tending a vineyard i want you to understand something i'm kind of doing a little association here with the biblical mount carmel and our mount carmel because i think there is absolutely legitimacy here that the mount carmel of scripture In that place, you could have a commanding view in in a lot of directions. I know we're not on a a, a literal mountain. They said you could have commanding view from from various directions. And Carmel, Mount Carmel was so important in the Old Testament Scripture for the military and for geopolitical reasons that whoever held or had Mount Carmel controlled the northern half of the nation, which was the majority. Whoever had Mount Carmel. Furthermore, whoever controlled worship that took place on Mount Carmel controlled the nation's spirituality. Now, I've just talked to us tonight concerning our city, Mount Carmel. And I believe that with as it is in Scripture for their Mount Carmel, so it is with ours. I've been praying a lot about spiritual things concerning our community and city here lately. Amen. And asking God to help me and give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding and revelation concerning this. But I believe, Bishop, that if we can control worship in Mount Carmel, that we will control the city in its spirituality around here. Amen. I believe that totally tonight concerning... Mount Carmel, and so that's the reason why it was such a prized position even here for Elijah and what he was dealing with. I believe in my spirit. I believe God just impressing my spirit today that what he was dealing with then is a little bit what we're dealing with here, here, and now. That he came and posed a question to people that wasn't necessarily sewed out this direction or sewed out this direction, but they were somewhere in between, and they hadn't really made a choice and decision, and he was demanding that they make a decision for God. And I believe today, and I know because there's talk going on around this community, that there are people that are just weighing in the balance. They're not really one direction or the other. They're just waiting to make a decision yes sir yes ma'am and so he, he poses the question how long holds you between two opinions how, how long are you going to totter how, how long are you going to be fickle and inconsistent between two opinions he was demanding that they make a decision because they were in a place under Jezebel and Ahab they wanted to be pleasing to their king and all of that but at the same token they could not divorce their mind from everything that God had done and what they had seen in their past. So they try to live, you know, both sides and, you know, talk out of both sides of their mouth and make both parties, you know, happy, but you can't do that. I like the flavor of their worship and their preaching and the anointing, but there's some other parts over here, you know, I got to, you can't do that. You got to have the whole package. Let me ask you a question come across this today thought it was peculiar three frogs are sitting on a log two decide to jump off how many are left the answer is three because you haven't jumped off the log you just decided to jump off and your decision isn't in stone until you followed up with an action They just decided to jump off. You haven't jumped off the log because you decided to jump off the log. Deciding counts for nothing until you jump off the log. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop. Obedience is better. Titus 1, verse number 16. I'm trying to hasten along here, folks, but I'm dragging my feet terribly. Titus 1, 16. The Bible says they profess that they know God. They profess that they know God but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and to every good work reprobate. they, they, They say they know him, but their actions do not follow up their profession. So there has to be a harmony of the two. And so we come to Mount Carmel and Elijah tells the people, he says, whatever God answers by fire, let him be God. Whatever God answers by fire. Those that are serving Baal says, this is going to be no problem. Because Baal is the god of of fertility, and he's the god of the rain, although for the past three years he hasn't been able to do anything about that, but we're just going to say, okay. He's also the sun god, meaning he's the god of fire. So you want a god to answer by fire? Boy, you just called the wrong prerequisite then right now because our god is the god of fire, and it's going to happen. Well, they didn't tell him, though, that usually pagans that served Baal they dug a little pit under their altars almost like a little fox and they would have one of their priests set under there and whenever they'd make their sacrifice they would have that little priest light a little fire to make it look like their God answered by fire <laughs> that's going to be hard to dig a pit right now if everybody's watching isn't it and so the story goes we, there's something we need to understand about false gods false gods do not have power number two they will not answer because they cannot answer Number three, trying to serve one will only lead your life to destruction. All these prophets get together, they start their, 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 their uh, sacrifice, and they have it laid out there, and they begin to pray, hear us, O Baal, hear us, O Baal, hear us, O Baal. And you know, you can see according to Scripture that there was probably a good six-hour time frame that they were being repetitious with their prayer. Hear us, O Baal. Hear us, O Baal. Hear us, O Baal. Hear us, O Baal. Well, he don't have any power, and he's not going to answer you because he cannot answer you. Uh, Psalms 115, and I'm not going through those verses, brother, but Psalms 115 speaks of those idols. Eyes they have, but they cannot see. Ears they have, but they cannot hear. Mouths they have, but they cannot speak. Noses have they, but they smell not. In other words, they're dead. They can't do anything. They have all these per se appendages, but they cannot act upon them all them. So they have a mouth, but they cannot respond to you. And so is everyone that worships like unto them. So here's all these people they're crying down for Baal, and the Bible tells that Elijah, man, here is the real human side of Elijah. He starts making fun. <laughs> I don't know, you know what overcame him, you know, a real spiritual moment. And because nothing's happening, "Oh, perhaps your God is asleep. Perhaps he's on a journey." There's even some rendition of the Hebrew words there that speak that maybe your God is off somewhere relieving himself. (laughs) You want to talk about the comical sign of the prophet? Here's his humanity sign, man. He's making a little joke. And after that, man, they really worked up in a frenzy. Here is so them. They began cutting themselves and bleeding out on themselves and working them up in a great, just a frenzy, just going crazy. And you call us crazy. They were mutilating their body. Cutting, mutilating, because whenever you follow false gods, it will lead to personal destruction and ultimate destruction because in the end, those same prophets that were destroying themselves through mutilation for this false god lost their life for their false god. They had a lot of activity around the altar. I'm going to have to send this to Robert Coffey because he'll feel real proud that I mentioned his name tonight. But Brother, Brother Robert Coffey from Portsmouth, Ohio. I used to keep a little book whenever I traveled, some little uh, profound or noteworthy statements that pastors of different people made. And he made it in my book one time, and it just flabbergasted him. And uh, he made a statement one time. The statement that he made was this. I even got August of 24th, 2005. He made this statement. He mentioned that spiritual activity doesn't necessarily denote spirituality (laughs) because around the altar there was per se spiritual activity taking place and they were chanting they were praying they were in a frenzy I don't know about the mutilation okay Uh, but they were taking all this there was a lot of activity going on but that didn't necessarily denote spirituality It was still a far cry from what we would deem as spiritual or having spirituality. and God couldn't bless that mess. For one thing, they had never made, and I'm probably going to have to shut up, but they had never made amends for their wrongs. A.W. Pink said it like this. He said, it is useless to pray for his blessing while we refuse to put away that which has called down his curse wanting God to bless us while we've not yet made amends for the curse that was brought upon us by our activity bless me while I'm in my mess that I created bless me in my sin bless me in my mistake but look the action now of Elijah they've done this for six hours or so man they've done all their deeds here comes Elijah just very calm and collected Amen. he comes in and the first thing that he does wasn't build a new altar Scripture says that he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. He rebuilt the altar of the Lord. didn't need a new altar. He just needed to rebuild the old altar. In a land where all these idolatry practices had taken place, even the altar of the Lord had been abandoned. It existed, but it had been abandoned. It was in ill repair. He says, I'm not going to build a new altar. I'm just going going to try to repair the old altar. He says, I don't need a new form of worship. I just need to restore this old form right here. I just need to restore the old altar, and so he gathers together 12 stones that was indicative of the 12 tribes, which is speaking uh, speaking just, just volumes right now at that moment, because he brings the 12 stones together to build up this altar. And right now we're talking about a divided kingdom, disunity. But he's saying this is not the way it was from the beginning. This was one nation, 12 tribes that, that stood together and came together. This was a unified thing. And, he, and he, he set the wood in order and he put the sacrifice upon it. And then he had some people to go get four barrels of water and poured on the sacrifice and the wood and the stones. He, he dug a trench around about the altar and he had them go get those four barrels three times, 12 barrels of water. Now, one thing... <laughs> I tell you what, that would almost be a little agitating if you've been without water for three years and this old Joe's using water just to pour on wood and sacrifice and stone and dirt. (laughs) I don't know if anybody had been falling down right then trying to suck it back out of the soil, but uh, uh, that would have been a little bit difficult, although there was the Mediterranean Sea very close by, so he's pouring all this on there. He's going to make sure that everybody knows that this is God. So he steps up to his altar. He prays a 63-word prayer, and boom, there's fire. Man, there's no switch. There's no doing cartwheels. There's no cutting itself. He just prays a 63-word prayer, and boom, there was fire. Man, McGee, that's powerful. Well, there's something that I believe, and I've told you all this before, but that wasn't the result of just one solitary prayer. That was the result of everything that had happened at Cherith and everything that had happened at Zarephath and what happened at Mount Carmel. Amen. It was the culmination of all these things together. I'll be still. Stand with me. But I really need to finish. But you're going to stand and help me. I don't everybody Someone's about ready to sit down. In verse 17 and 18 of 1 Kings 18, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You're the troublemaker, Elijah. And Elijah answered to him and said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou. You're the troublemaker, Ahab. And thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. So Ahab says, Elijah, you're the troublemaker. Elijah says, Ahab, you are the troublemaker. Why? Because you forsook the commandments of the Lord. And as a result of that, you haven't seen any of the manifestations of God. The reason why Elijah's seen what Elijah seen on Mount Carmel, I believe, is because he kept the commandments of the Lord. The Bible states plainly in John chapter 14 and verse number 5, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Skipping down to 21, it says, and he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to." I manifest myself to those who are keepers, who are obedient. I manifest myself to those who are obedient. So the reason why the fire fell on Mount Carmel on your altar, Elijah, is because you were an obedient man, and your obedience then brought a manifestation of in myself unto you. Elijah goes to prayer. The first thing he did was came near... He calls upon the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which were the covenant names, that God had a covenant with His people. He's trying to tie a nation back in covenant with their God. So He calls upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there are three motives, and I'm closing. There are three motives, really, of the prayer of Elijah, if you read it in verses uh, uh, 36 and 37. Whenever you read that, the motives of Elijah's prayer is this, God, let it be known that Thou art God, Number two, let it be known that I am not just your servant, but your obedient servant. And number three, let it be known that you are the God that has redeemed this people. You are the one that has changed their mind and can bring them back and turn them back to a place where they need to be with you. Because before there could be any amends made, there had to be a sacrifice made. And fire had to fall. It was either going to fall on the wicked and the guilty Or it was going to fall on a substitute. And that's what that bullock provided on Mount Carmel. A substitute. And whenever it fell. Amen. Upon that substitute. God says now we can have reconciliation between me and thee. If you'll accept this. Amen. I've spilled a bunch. Amen. All over you here this evening. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads tonight. God I come to you this evening.